Hello and welcome to today's Coach Me to Lead show. Today I'm talking to Sophie Wade. Welcome, Sophie. Hi, how are you? Great to be here. Yeah. And I've got your name from someone who was on the podcast before. And I went through your profile and saw your books and thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be interesting. Um, especially your latest book, Talking About Empathy. An, an interesting topic that I love to dive into deeper. But first, you are an author, you work on the future of work, and you have a lot about remote work or flexible work. How did you get here? How did you how did you make this your main topic? Well, I my first career, this is really my second career, was in remote work. Uh, so my, my first career was in strategic development. I do apologize. Strategic development really focused on finance. Um, business development, uh, in not in sales, but in terms of developing businesses. I wrote financial models and um, uh, developed financial models, wrote business plans and helped companies, small companies get some startups, get funding, um, or working in big companies, developing, you know, developing new projects, building teams. And, uh, and so this, I sort of started in the workplace flexibility space in 2010, because of my, um, my two kids, and I was working long hours, uh, and really needed more time, I was I didn't have any time at the end of my, you know, long days, I was still then rushing around trying to do all the stuff that I needed to do to cater to the family and, and my kids, and I didn't have any you know, quality time with them. And so I started looking into workplace flexibility, which is a sort of the umbrella term for everything that isn't nine to five, five days a week in the office. So it could be shared jobs, it could be a four day work week, it could be a compressed 40 hour, four day work week. There are lots of different um, combinations in, that include remote working and, and flexible hours, the, all those type of things. And, and so then I, I, I actually then started working in the space because I was like, you know, this is important. We're starting to be enabled by technology. And, uh, you know, there's so many different ways that we can be be working that are really adapting to, that allow us to adapt for how society is changing, how our needs are changing. But as we, as we sort of go, as I sort of started in that space, I started realizing how many things that we needed to know more about ourselves and about each other. And as we're working much more closely together, because the nature of work has changed, because we're having to work much more in teams uh, across silos, uh, working on, at a much faster pace, we really needed to understand each other. And particularly across generations, it's actually what first generated my, my sort of use of empathy because I really wanted to understand millennials. Now it's Gen Z that are being sort of um, maligned sometimes or being complained about. But then it was millennials. And so I was like, okay, you know, time out. I want to let me dive into all the research and let's see what, you know, what the, what the differences really are. What they, you know, are they so entitled? Are they this? Are they that? And I put myself in their shoes. And so it was, it was empathy. It was me empathizing with them based on all the information and really trying to understand from the research that I was reading what their situation was, how they saw the world. And that enabled me to understand much better what they're going through and where the disconnects were and how to, to, to bridge some of those gaps. So that's, that's sort of the initial, my initial foray into empathy as a solution. Um, and then it was very useful um, in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, initially, way before the pandemic, talking about decentralized working and distributed teams and how more, more people were working pretty much mostly informally outside the office or flexible hours. 
you started doing this, the, the initial spark um, reason for this was the time with your children, this, the precious time that you could spend with your family. Did you get more time after the switch? Well, initially, so yes, definitely. Initially, I actually, um, in my transition and I, as I was starting to, what I did first of all is I started actually working, uh, doing some um, recruiting for hedge funds. And I was doing that three days a week. So I had the whole of Monday and the whole of Friday um, to do non-corporate work and to be doing all, running all the errands that I needed to. And then I was working three days a week. And, and it was very interesting because, boy, was I exhausted when you're so focused working three days a week. Uh, you wonder how much was I actually working over those five days because, you know, you're, when you're very in, intensively focused and you're not at lunchtime, you know, doing some of the Amazon shopping that you needed to do to try and get the stuff that you needed for your kids or whatever, they become much more intense focused work periods. So that was that was sort of the initial change, which did allow me when the kids were home from school and during the weekends, not to be rushing around doing my errands. And yes, I did have a lot more time with them. And when you later on did research on the Gen Z, not the Gen Z, the millennials, but maybe even now on a Gen Z, what did you, what did you learn? Just, you know, despite the fact that you've, you know, you had empathy and in going into them, but what did you, what was the difference that you learned from what people thought of them and how you discovered that they how they thought about it. So thank you for asking that because, it, you know, it was, it, it was fascinating to me. So I don't typically like labels of any kind. And, uh, you know, but it's, it can be helpful to do these groupings more based on where people are in their, their sort of career and life arc. Are they the beginning, just coming into the labor labor market are they sort of in prime revenue generating age or sort of like starting to do to sort of climb up the ladder and in their you know management starting to be management roles are in the senior leadership roles and you know then sort of moving out so so looking at that in terms of where people are so at that moment it was originally millennials who were sort of coming into an, an understanding and reacting to being you know new in the labor market dealing with the with the great recession certainly you know around the world but particularly in the US that had a huge impact on millennials and all the young people whether they were able to find jobs um, and also in terms of the career arc and the and the economic situations and the sort of the big events that are going on around them there's also technology and so millennials generally but, but particularly the younger millennials were the first generation who really had a lot of of technology integrated into their education. Um, so 2009 onwards, when the smartphones, you know, the iPhone first came out in 2007, but it opened up in 2009. And that's when all the applications really exploded and really sort of changing sort of people's access to information and all the different ways that we, we've been using um, on the consumer side applications to improve our lives and do things faster and more efficiently. So those were the key things that really impacted how millennials were different than previous generations going through the same kind of like coming to labor force and sort of growing through their careers. And what it really did is change the pathways of the careers because of how technology was, was impacting them and the information that they had and the possibility of being able to work 
um, in a mobile fashion because of laptops and because of, of powerful smartphones. And in tandem, technology was really being integrated much more into businesses. And so we were able, to, it was, we were moving at a faster pace. And in order to be nimble, companies were becoming flatter. And, you know, you didn't have this sort of hierarchical, lots and lots and lots of incremental steps that, that, that millennials had to look forward to or, or sort of could anticipate in their career progression. As a result, that was really changing how they were responding when they were coming into organizations because it wasn't clear to them how their careers were going to progress. And so it was really sort of changing how they were reacting to you know, what am I going to do next? And how am I going to progress? And what do I need to learn? And, and I'm going to be going diagonally or horizontally. How is that going to work across organizations? And it's still hard today to move like talent mobility, moving within organizations. So the technology aspect and the career progression, those were two huge elements that I saw were very different for that first generation because of technology and how that was changing the dynamics for them. What in do you see? I'm I'm curious about this part with this um, Gen C and millennials because of the leadership issues that you know people tend to experience today. So, what do you see today with Gen C? Is that a lot different from what you experienced then? How do you see it now? Many of the same elements, because uh, just in the same way uh, that millennials had been very impacted or really noticed what happened with the Great Recession, Gen Zs were watching too. They were obviously younger, but they were watching how their parents, their parents' friends, and younger people, the millennials above them, were being laid off. And so the the, the first realizations that millennials had that there was no job security, I mean, obviously in Europe, the, there was more job security and, and the, the, the laws are very different. Um, in Germany, where I've worked, you know, very, very different in terms of how you can be hired and, and, and fired. But in the U.S., where you can be fired and, you know, very easily with, with no, no cause, that really, really has impacted how Gen Zs look at look at corporations and think about like, do I want to go into this company? What's going to help give me some assurance that I have, I'm going to stay competitive, that I'm going to be upskilled and going to have any kind of financial or job security because the company's not going to give me job security, but maybe I can connect with them about values and we can really, I can have some idea that they're at least going to be transparent with me, or maybe there are going to be opportunities to move within the company um, to gain more skills and they're going to keep me, they're going to keep me upskilled. So, so some of these elements that are challenging for leaders, it really is a lot to do with the financial security, the, the lack of job security, and this, uh, these new career dynamics uh, which are are de definitely very, very different to how Gen Xers and Boomers, how their careers went. And a piece of that, which is which is fascinating to me as well, is if you so many new jobs are appearing or emerging uh, that that never existed before. Drone pilot, for example, is a re is a relatively recent one. Um, but there are so many, whether it's genetic consultant or cybersecurity analyst or personal cybersecurity. You know, there are lots and lots of different uh, new roles. So if I'm coming to the labor market now, would I make a choice about my career if I have no? You know, there may be so many jobs you know popping up in five years time that could be could be perfect for me. What I'm going to do first, most likely, is explore. I'm going to, 
to, to upskill. I'm going to develop lots of types of skills um, at my company and if, if at my current company. And if they can't offer me, you know, upskill me in that way or it's not relevant, I might move company specifically to explore more skills and have a, you know, a, a wide range of skills that I can then use when it is clearer to me what kind of path I want to take and where I'm best suited. So it's a very different landscape, and that does drive a lot of Gen Z's um, behaviors because they're trying to work out, you know, how, how am I going to have financial security and be able to stay competitive in this new landscape? And what I also see is that when they, they look at, you know, like jobs very differently, they also want to spend time in doing things, participating in community or discovering things that are outside of jobs, right? They are just um, in organizations or um, in, in work that they do for free and, and just finding out and developing themselves instead of just doing a study, just doing explorations, right? Doing, finding out what's really going on in the world and how they can contribute and make it a better place. So how do you feel that as a leader, because I titled this, um, this session, the human-centric leadership, how, how could you incorporate this and use it as a good leader to attract these people? Because I think they're really important to your business. Because we talked about diversity before, like you mentioned your podcast, you try to be diverse as possible. That wasn't a pre-conversation. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, And I agree. I think diversity is really important if we want to really grow our business. We have to get all people on board and make them, you know, on, you know, based on values, attract them and to, that they really want to work for us. So how could you use this as a leader uh, in a human centric way? I think to, to understand, to empathize with Gen Z's and new Gen Z uh, coming into your organization first to, you know, recognize that the dynamic for them may be very different than it was for you. That like it's 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 not more of the same. We're just iterating the same way. The the dynamics have changed, and many organizations have not yet had the chance to adapt for that in being able to you know you know onboard new new recruits and then move them about around in the organization. Um, because it isn't set up that way. We're still, so many organized corporations are, are set up to, to, to sort of go through this incremental path. So what leaders can do is sort of recognize some of the new dynamics that young people are dealing with as they're coming in and thinking about like, what, what can I be, off, what can this organization be offering them and what's going to be good for, for that person coming in? Because where, we, where it's going to be beneficial is when these th where these things match, when it's kind of like, okay, we're going to upskill you. We want you to stay competitive. We want you to have the skills that this business needs. And where that there's a mutual fit, that's what is actually going to enable, well, you know, encourage that person to stay and provide and contribute as much value as possible. And maybe they'll leave later, but you know they that period whilst they're there, the leader can really be nurturing and encouraging them and engaging them to find out what their skills are, what they're really interested in, what engages them most, what motivates them. It's not pandering to them; it's sort of saying, you know, what, how, what do you have that you want to contribute, and how does that align best with the business needs that we have? And with with you know young young people. They're really, if they don't have, think about it this way. 
if I know that I'm, this is what I want to be, let's say I'm going to, I want to be a doctor or I, you know, I have a profession or a very specific goal that I know, I'm, or, or even, you know, going further back, if I, if the, if the, the equation is I work really long hours now and much, much later I will get a pension and, you know, that's going to be the, I'll, I'll put up with this, all of this now because I can eventually go up all the way up the, the, the corporate ladder and then have a little nest egg and then retire. And, you know, that's sort of how life works. It doesn't work like that now. When I come into an organization as a young person, then they're telling me in no uncertain terms, we, you know, you're not going to be here for very long. You know, you maybe stay here, but we're not guaranteeing anything. We have no idea what's going to be going on. So how can we make a connection that gives them some security so they can feel comfortable and really contribute everything that they have? And they have so much to offer in terms of particularly your youngest employees can be the most intuitive to do with technology. Not always, of course, but they, they're growing up with, with iPhones and smartphones in their hands. So what, how can they can con contribute? And, you know, in the same token, they want to rise up. They want to be learning. If you're talking to lots of Gen Zs, they, the key thing that they want to do is be learning, 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 learning. And that's why, you know, in so many cases, which isn't necessarily welcomed, a leader will get a much earlier request for a promotion than they may be comfortable with. Um, and I would say, Try and put a pin in that and not react by assuming I'm kind of like, oh, this is way too early. They don't deserve it. Well, things are moving much faster now. But the key is they want to keep learning. They want to keep growing and they want to have more financial security. So understanding more of the, 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 the sort of issues and concerns that they have can help have a much more productive uh, relationship between a, a team lead and, and, and the, the members of that team. And be, be not getting the most out of your team, but really helping them engage and contribute as much as possible. As I see leaders, anybody in the company, community leader, whatever rank they are, whatever level they are. So if you have a young leader, maybe even from this Gen C generation, and I, I meet a lot of leaders in that, uh, at that young age, how could the, they use their leadership within these, I would say, old organizations or at least in existing companies? How could they use this? Use their leadership? Yeah. I think empathetic leadership, and to, to be clear about empathy, the way I look at it and, and many people define it is um, being able to understand, being the, somebody else's perspective from their shoes and connect with their experience, feel what they're feeling. It, it, the critical piece of it is putting yourself in their shoes and seeing it not from your eyes if you were in their show, shoes, but as though you are uh, in them in their shoes. And this is a critical, it's not easy, and it's a critical piece of this. So understanding where we are now, which is which is helpful for leaders to understand their clients, like really putting yourself in clients' shoes and, and, and really being able to understand where your business is going because so much is changing right now. But doing that as a, as a leader to really get a good sense of what your team is capable of, what they're going through, what mental health issues that they may be experiencing, how, how you can be supportive of them. And we're, 
at the speed that we're we're work, try, needing to work at now, with the unpredictability of market conditions um, and you know evolving uh, the evolving nature of work in terms of it's not so linear and independent. It's much more um, internal projects as well as external projects. We're using you know blended workforce. All of these different elements. These are these are challenging. These are challenging for leaders. These are challenging for for particularly the younger the younger members uh, in fact you know change at this scale and at this pace is not easy for most people to to deal with so as a leader really using empathy to understand the people in your team and the people above you as well in the organization is going to be very very helpful to and recognizing that that it's it's not as much about you know, command and control and giving, you know, directions and, and instructions. It's more about oversight. It's more about empowering the, the people who you're managing and really and, and coaching them because with things changing so much and KPIs, you know, we, we can't it, really projecting out two years. That's very hard these days. You know, much shorter term KPIs and checking in, particularly with younger members who don't have as much experience. They may have some intuition. They may have some understanding. They may have more expertise, expertise with to do with technology. So we marry that together with the, the experience um, of leaders. And together, that's the way I believe and I see that that beneficial outcomes uh, are arrived at when everybody is contributing. And, and really, I look at this as being, you know, co-creation, really bringing everybody together and contributing um, and, and being able to have meaningful, empathetic discussions where everybody's contributions are heard and understood. When I read about your book, and I have to be honest, I didn't read the book, um, but I, I, you know, I listened to your courses on LinkedIn. I listened to some of the podcast podcast episodes. So when I, I learned about the book about empathy, right? Empathy works. I also thought about the book by Tim Sanders, "Love Is the Killer App." Oh. So it's the idea that, and I, I feel the same way about empathy, right? So if if you are willing to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and to find out what they are going through and letting go of your own ego, right? So that's about, I think is important to do. Then you can also share the love for what you do and how you can help them. So to me, that's an important skill that we all can learn to help each other, right? To, to build like communities or to help people around you. I don't have a question. <laughs> 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 I was just talking. <laughs> <laughs> what what did it make you to want to write that book? Why? Because your previous book is embracing progress, so it's all about uh, moving forward, about in, you know dealing with all these changes, these this fast pace. But why suddenly was not maybe suddenly, but why was empathy important for you for that part? They're both about the future of work. I mean, Empathy Works is very much about the future of work. And in fact, it's Empathy Works, the key to competitive advantage in the new era of work. So it's, re it's, it's a sort of continuation of the thread that I started when I was helping people you know, intergenerational communication, bridging gaps, um, helping people pre-pandemic adapt for more distributed, more decentralized teams, people working across many remote offices and, and being able to connect better and the shift in leadership 
which was more about oversight, more less about command and control, and more sort of collaborative because very much driven by technology, the faster paced organizations were dealing with a lot more you know, rapid feedback from customers. More decisions need to be taken right down at the front line, close to customers. And in that decentralized decision-making, which has given accountability further down the organization, leaders including sort of, you know, lower level managers need to be able to understand, uh, you know, what their, what their team members are, are, you know, capable of and what they can, you know, can best, how best to oversee them and manage them and motivate them. So having this human connection is really, really important. So prior to the pandemic, I was already talking a lot about empathy and using, and it was a solution in many cases for, for so many of the issues that I saw happening in the workplace and I was already working in sort of the future of work um, starting in 2015. So, so this was a thread. Then when the pandemic happened and empathy became sort of one of the, one of the buzzwords and people were really sort of leaning into that and you know, it was, there was a lot of rawness and vulnerability and we were able to connect a lot with, different, with our experiences. And that I saw as in, in the midst of all the, all the tragedy and, and, and grief, we were able to see each other much more as three-dimensional human beings. And that was extraordinarily helpful um, to get through a you know, crisis conditions, but also to adapt for the new ways of working. And a lot of the different workplace conditions that we experienced through the pandemic, a lot of them, I would say 80 plus percent, were future of work related. Not the pandemic, obviously, you know, captured at home or, you know, under incredible stress on the front line, those two were very extreme. But a lot of how we were dealing and communicating and contactless and all the different ways that we were using technology, which were implemented on an accelerated basis, that those are the future of work elements that we're now trying to catch up with and adapt for and the intended and unintended consequences that came along with that. So, so, so empathy then became all the more important to try and help us help leadership adapt, help deal with the different generations. And then it was then it became much less about the millennials, it came much more about the Gen Zs. And I do want to say one particular point about um, Generation Z or, or Z is that there's I I empathize with them very much in the sense on, on many points, but one particular one is they're not trying to disrupt anything, everything. They are, you know, you know, I, I use a sort of picture, you know, visualizing, they're not in, in, a, in a corner of TikTok plotting to disrupt, to, for disruption. So many of them, apart from anything, had several, you know, key working, new working years that they had, or the, the, fir the first working years were in, under pandemic conditions. So those are the routines and the habits that they've learned. But a key point is, is that, they are reacting. They have the freshest eyes. They don't have entrenched habits. So when they're coming into the workplace, they're reacting to what is. They're not, they're not sort of saying we should do things like this. They're kind of like, well, this is the environment that we see and we're trying to understand it. So this is what we're, you know, and we have these, these phones, we have laptops, we, we, you know, we have all this incredible technology. How can we best use it? So, and the challenge is that they don't have so much experience and, and they don't necessarily know the building blocks of work. So we, we're going through a period which I think is particularly challenging because you have a lot of people who have amazing expertise and, 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 and also entrenched 
legacy habits. And then you have people who have extremely fresh eyes and they see the new landscape in in, in a very sort of open and, and, and fresh way to try and kind of go, oh, look at this. So if we put everybody together, that can be very powerful. But we need to be able to be both sides, everybody, all generations and everybody in the workplace needs to be open and listening. And that's where I, I do really love the word co-creation because I think it does, it does capture the, the sense that we're, we're, all, we're all in this mess together and we're all contributing to the solution and what's going to work for each specific company, any specific team, because we're all there. I work on something which is called inner development goals. Mm -hmm. So the foundation of that are the sustainable development goals, which are the signed by, uh, what was it, 138 UN um, partners, countries. And it, the IDGs is the idea that, so the sustainable development goals are pretty difficult and broad and not easy to implement for companies or organizations or governments. If we start with the inner development of the person themselves, and they have like 23 skills, um, which they found through questioning a thousand people and came to the most important skills to, to, to create a better future by starting by you, that co-creation is one of those skills mentioned there. So it's, mm. I, I think it's a really interesting part that we are able, so there's two domains, which is cooperation and communications that are the two domains in that area where co-creation is part of. I think it's really interesting to develop those skills as a person. So if I look at the skill of empathy, what, kind of tips do you have how could people develop this skill so my book's really good for that because um i both sort of set it set up where we are in terms of the future of work how things are changing technology societal change i also then you know look at the I look at it in terms of the customer journey, the employee journey, sort of a yin yang, because those all fit together and they need to be consistent and coherent. And then I go into empathy habits. And so really it does go through about 50 empathy habits and how to, you know, what can be utilized in different ways to, to, to really enhance um, and develop your empathy skills because empathy is natural sort of human nature in our human nature it is part of the basis dr helen uh, rice um, of harvard harvard medical school is uh you know believes you know she she's quoted as saying it is is sort of you know part of the fundamental basis for human relationships reciprocity um cooperation and collaboration uh franz de Waal, who is a dutch primatologist uh talks about it as being you know a universal a basic sort of universal you know part of human nature so it is, it is really something that we, we do typically use a lot in our personal lives, but it hasn't been used so much in business. That wasn't part of, it's kind of like, no, it's not personal, it's business. So we have not really been integrating empathy as much as we need to now. And I, I don't do the coulda, woulda, shoulda. In the past, I look towards the future and say like, the nature of work has changed so much. We're moving at a, at a pace. We're working in teams. We're needing to collaborate in different ways and dealing with much more complex problems at this faster pace. So empathy now is very much needed. So what are a couple of you know, tips? So there are three parts of empathy. Cognitive, which is the putting yourself in someone else's shoes, so trying to think how they do. 
affective empathy, which is the feel, so it's think, feel, um, and trying to connect with their emotion, their experience. And that can be, you can practice it in different ways. There are many ways in sort of your personal life that you can sort of lean into it and then just like notice it. Somebody's having a really bad day, you're like, oh, I can understand. Or they drop their phone, you're like, oh. And we actually have mirror neurons in our brains that that actually duplicate, they mirror the, the emotion, the, the, the experience that the other person's having, but to a lesser degree. So we're still able to react and respond. So we do actually feel like, oh God, I, yes, I remember, or I feel the same pain because we do sort of remember and we, we duplicate that same. So that is very much part of the feel. And then the last piece is act. So act, so what do you do differently? You don't actually have to be acting um, in, the, in a very kind or nice way, you don't. But let's assume that, you know, from an ethical point of view and from if you're trying to, in, in work, you're trying to produce a positive outcome, it's taking on board what the other person's or recognizing what they their experience is, what their perspective is to have a more productive outcome, to have better outcomes is going to be not ignoring what they're saying, but actually taking on board or at least valuing and hearing them and recognizing, oh, okay, I know, I hear what you say. I don't have to agree with you. But if I recognize and value that you have an opinion and I tell you that, and I'm kind of like, well, am I sure that I understood what you said? Let, let me just repeat back to you what I thought you said. And then you recognize that I care. I want to understand what you're trying to say. You have a chance to also kind of like, well, no, Sophie. This what I actually meant was this. And then we have a, and that way you feel valued, you feel heard. I understand you better. And we can get to a better outcome by having more information, more understanding of each other's perspectives. So that's a, so listening, you know, restating, reconfirming, me, aff, me affirming that I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, those are all very simple things that can be done and make a big difference in terms of a positive outcome. I also really do believe that at the beginning of any meeting, it really is beneficial to sort of connect about different things so that we we get into the same mind frame of kind of like we're on the same page. We, we, we sort of know each other. We have some, some foundation, whether I know about your pets or your this or, or, you know, you and I connected about the fact that you're in Amsterdam and I've been there. I love the city. So that already made me feel connected with you. I hope the same, the same in, in, you know, in reverse. I love bicycling. I'm sure you spend a lot of time on your bicycle. You know, those are the type of things that help us have a good connection and conversation. And hopefully if we're in business together, um, some positive outcomes. Yeah. And I like when you said in the beginning that you talk about habits, right? So these are habits um, that we have and we already have this skill in ourselves. Um, but, you know, you can develop the habits to show it more or to share it more. Since we here at Coach.me, we all are all, everything about habits and using it in a way that create better humans so that for me that's really important and nice that you said that and also i just remembered you're not in amsterdam at all <laughs> we were talking about germany that's okay so you apologize for that no Anna's that's okay not in amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not in amsterdam i'm close to amsterdam close especially to when you're in the u.s <laughs> but anyway no i think i think one thing that i like um, to bring to a meeting when we talk about meetings is you do a check-in, right? A short mm. check-in to see how what's going on in your world, how you feel. So also that gives you the 
chance to empathize with the person to see how they feel and how they are sitting in this meeting and it gives them a way to you know for a moment at least close off that part of their lives and just focus on the meeting yeah. and just continue and then the same you do at the end of the meeting you do a checkout and you know discover how people felt about the meeting mm -hmm. even if just if you just a member or if you were organizing the meeting you, it's good to understand you know, what was the feelings during this meeting and how they've experienced the meeting and what we can do yeah. different next time. So for me, that's... And, and, and even during the meeting, if there isn't, a, you know, if they just discussed an objective at the beginning, hopefully have there's an, an agenda and, a, and, 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 and that's has been set at the beginning, halfway through the meeting to see where you are. Because then then if, if you know, one, if somebody's off track or everybody's off track or it needs to, or you've sort of gone on down a different pathway and maybe the objective has slightly changed, recognizing that so to actually bring to to be more efficient uh with the, the the meeting and the times because i think for me empathy is really also respecting and and valuing every single person's time including your own yeah i agree okay there's so many things that we could talk about i just want to make sure that people understand so sophie wade if you're looking at the video right now you can see at the bottom uh, what your url is how, what's the easiest part for people to connect with you? Where can, where can they find your book? Oh, uh, yes. So sophiewade.com. Uh, there's also flexcellnetwork.com. That's Future of Work Consultancy, which is really about, you know, to, about modern work and, and helping companies and people adapt to new ways of working. And uh, my books, which are right there, the red one, that's the new one, Empathy Works. And there's also Embracing Progress, which was uh, 2017, which is all about really, it, it's mostly, I guess, a data dump. It's a little bit, it's, it's dry, but it has a lot of information about kind of like where we are now, all the trends that show where we are now and where we're going way, be, way beyond this. So those are available on, you know, all online retailers and in-person retailers um, so in the U.S. And there's um, this distribution in many places around the world, um, including India. We have there's an Indian, an English version in India that's out there as well. Thank you so much, Sophie. I really liked how you look at, not liked, I like how you look at, yeah, well, I, you could summarize it with um, showing empathy, but in general, looking at um, things in like a human way to really see the other humans you're working with, to discover, to find out how they are doing, what their interests are, what you know, how they want to progress in their job, how they want to work in this company, and see how you can use that to really make this place as a leader a place where people feel at home and feel comfortable to do and deliver their best work. So to me, that was really interesting. Thank you for that, Sophie. Oh, you're so welcome. And I do actually believe it sounds like a cliche, but this is a win-win when we can get it right and we can understand each other and help people do their best work and help them actually have more of a balance so that their work is not all-consuming, but it is balanced um, in, a, in, a, in a positive and productive way. That really can be um, beneficial for the company and for the employees. And, and then they stay. So... Well, for you listening now and you want to watch the replay or you want to share with somebody every Monday, um, you can find the video and the audio on blog.coach.me. Um, also, it's on Spotify, it's on YouTube. And as always, thank you for joining us today. And we'd love to see you again next Friday at 9 a.m. Central Time or at 4 p.m. Central European Time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sophie. 
Thanks so much, Arnel.